Welcome back to another bright and early Friday morning. Uh, we are here uh, live at eight o'clock and we are, uh, uh, this is a really bad introduction. This is the worst introduction I've ever given live, but we are here in the cross-border interview podcast. My name is Christopher Brown. We are in the ballot box, a weekly segment of the show where we are going to be talking about the biggest political news stories of the week with a guest and our guest for the third time in a row, the greatest person ever that I have met in this podcast, uh, Miss Jen Sanford. Jen, thank you so much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. The greatest person ever. Thank you. Thank you. It's so great to be back here with you on this Friday morning. Thank you for having me. And there's no time zone change. So we're both in the same time zone now. So you didn't have to wake up extra, extra early. So this is going to be a fun conversation. We have a lot to dive into because there are were news stories that New story after new story after new story this week that we want to cover. And the first one, I, I would say federally, uh, is not in the realm of politics. And this is going to be weird because as a gay man, I usually don't talk about sports unless it's football because that's what I played. But we are going to talk about hockey this morning. We're going to be talking about hockey, 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 because earlier this week, actually, uh, I think it was uh, last week or the end of last week, beginning of this week, uh, the Montreal Canadiens, uh, the We Are North team, because they were in the Stanley Cup finals this year, Canadians rallied behind them became a lightning rod of controversy because they had drafted a gentleman. I won't announce his name because I don't think that we should because he's a criminal. And I believe that we shouldn't be talking about who he is because it's not really the important of the story. He in Sweden was charged with a sex offense in Canada. That sex offense would have meant jail time. He during the draft of the NHL said, do not draft me. I do not want to, but the Montreal Canadian said, Hey, you know what? I know better than you, so I'm going to draft you. This caused a fury of people being pissed off the Montreal Canadiens because this man had released inappropriate photos uh, without their uh, the woman's knowledge uh, of a sexual nature or consent, yeah. or consent. Sorry, that's the word I want to use here. And our fearless leader, Justin Trudeau, decided that, you know what? <laughs> I don't have controversies around sexual offenses and sexual misconduct charges. So I'm going to make an announcement on this. I think there was a lack in judgment, as he said, uh, for the Montreal Canadians to draft this man. Uh, Jen, I want to throw it to you first because, well, you're the only one here. So I'm going to talk. I'll let you talk here for a second as the women in the room. But what was your first initial thought when you heard Justin Trudeau say there was a lack in judgment on the Montreal Canadians part? Hypocrite. Hypocrite, hypocrite, two reasons why hypocrite. And I have a totally different take on this situation. So I'll go forward to go backward. So the okay. first piece is, is like, let's remember that uh, Trudeau groped, uh, was accused of groping a young woman in BC 20 years ago. And that came forward and, and, yeah, and I don't re seem to recall um, his uh, offer to resign or to express, you know, any real type of remorse. And so, you know, for him to say, like, you know, I feel like this is deeply disappointed. This is just him riding the wave of I want to have something to say, but I don't want to be held accountable to what I say. Uh, I do think it's also very important to note that uh, as the prime minister, he is in charge of the Canadian military, which if we've been following that story as we have, have not been having a super great time um you know 700 women have come 700 claims have come forward to say i'm encountering a type of abuse within the military these are people who are willing to die for this country and 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 willing to to you know make tremendous sacrifices not just for themselves but for their family and i i just think that this is just the epitome of oh i'm gonna i'm gonna ride the wave of wokeness uh but please don't ask me any contextual questions because it starts to kind of come unbundled now that's the Trudeau piece, but I also want to, I also want to talk about this, this young man, because, and I, and I don't want to, I don't want to be accused of what conservatives do, which is a failure to read the room and to pick the narrative in the right place. But, you know, this, 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 this young boy, uh, you're absolutely right, was charged and fined in Sweden for, uh, he had a sexual encounter with a woman and he took photos of her without her permission. And then he shared it widely with his teammates and others. And that is disgusting. And that is wrong. Then the question becomes at 18, what happens to this young person, right? So he, he 
you know, did not fight the charges. He was found guilty, accepted his plea of guilty. Um, he was, was fined. He paid the fine. He has expressed tremendous remorse for his, for his actions. And then he said to the NHL, please do not draft me. I do not want this. I do not want this for a team. I do not want this for myself. I do not feel like this is right. It doesn't act in congruence with my values of remorse. Then the team drafts him. And I have seen tremendous vitriol, especially from women on social media to say like, he's everything that's wrong with sports. Let's put our ire in the right place. What this young man did is abhorrent and wrong. What the Montreal Canadiens did was exert power when they knew better and put everyone in a difficult position. And then what Trudeau did was apply, you know, disaster capitalism or really just like disaster. I don't know what the word is, like a, a way to capitalize on, on the tragedy for political play. All of that is, is, is not what Canada is. And, and that really does frustrate me because the level of, of discourse and rhetoric that we have in this country really has to be made emblematic by the leader of this country and choosing to say, you know what, this will earn me some, some fun points in, in Quebec where I could use them by saying like, Hey, I stand behind the wokeness of Quebec. I, I just think like you have problems in your own house, be impeccable with your word, be a better leader than this. So I, I have, I have kind of a, a, a thought where I'm like, we have two Michaels in China that you can't get out. We have a tremendous trade deficit. We have huge issues. I think we're losing our stature with, with the United States in terms of having a strong partnership. And the, the talking point that you choose for this morning is who should be playing sports in Canada for what team on what moral laurels that you, you also don't have. I just think it's just incredibly misplaced. Now I will be the first to admit and uh, hold on a second. There is something wrong with my audio and I just want to make sure it's going to work properly because uh, yet again, this is, this is the great thing about this whole show is we are live and things screw up from time to time because you know, that's the way the world works. There we go. Just be honest with me. You just put me on mute for that whole segment. You're just like, don't want to hear it. Totally. That's exactly what I did. I apologize for my listeners right now. And hopefully, knock on wood, it seems to be recording on Zoom, but it is not showing up, which I'm that's what I'm getting the information from people who are listening right now. But hey, it seems to be working. Let's continue on because it seems to be working now. Uh, I want to talk about the mainstream media in this whole narrative as well, because one of the things that I've seen and I'm hearing time and time again is while Trudeau came out and did say what the Montreal Canadiens did was lack of judgment, the mainstream media didn't talk about the issues that he is surrounded by right now. And I think that's a no, failing on our media part. And I believe that the media needs to step up their game because while, okay, what, what the Montreal Canadiens did was stupid, idiotic, and re- just plain dumb. Unnecessary. Exactly. It was unnecessary. What I will say, though, is, hey, Justin Trudeau needs to be held accountable as well. And he is not being held accountable. And people need to realize that the mainstream media needs to do a better job. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope people will change the narrative. And I saw that Candace Bergen, the deputy leader of the conservative parties, tried to do that in some tweets. She did start calling out some uh, news organizations for saying, why aren't you addressing this as well along with the story? Because this is a bigger issue than just one kid doing something idiotic, criminal. It is a bigger issue around sexual misconduct in Canada. It is not just a one person issue. It is everyone's responsibility to fix this. So I give credit to the conservatives for trying to address this issue, but I give also credit to uh, the uh, narrative that Justin Trudeau has been able to make around this issue of, Hey, I'm making it about hockey and not myself. And I'm able to capitalize on this. I know it's the stupidest thing that he could have done, but it is how it's happened. Yeah, for sure. And, and he'll continue to, to engage in this, in this, you know, type of reckless, you know, speaking points so long as he isn't held to account. Yeah. And I hope that we get to a point where he starts to be held accountable in more ways than one. Um, The next area I want to talk about, and this is the big one that I, I, I did not know a lot about before talking about it. 
And before you mentioned it to me in our tweets, our back and forth tweets every week, but Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia. Um, Canada is selling arms to this country who is in the middle of a war with a neighboring country of Yemen. And I, I wanted to do a little bit of a dive into it. And I want you to explain a little bit about it because you are the one that brought this to my attention. So you're the best to explain it. And then I'll give my opinion. So go ahead, Jen. So it's a hypocrite. Sorry. If you haven't noticed the first 10 minutes of the show is going to be the hypocrite show. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I'm so glad we're, we're starting this week because usually we have to start with Kenny and I'm, I'm glad that we're, we're coming federally first this week. So I think it's really important to remember that this, this weapons sales with Saudi Arabia really is for Canada. Uh, it is trying to make the trade-off between um, providing arms for uh, the use of Saudi Arabia, which does have a terrible track record of human rights and is engaged in, in armed conflict with another country. For the trade-off there, this is about a sizable amount of money. And it's also about employment opportunities in Southern Ontario. Light armored vehicles are manufactured by General Dynamics in, in London, Ontario. And that does provide Ontario-based employment for 1,700 people. That's a sizable amount, right? And we've seen, you know, bailouts of equal size in, in you know, investments that the federal government has made in, in Ford to build, you know, electric vehicles to keep people in Ontario employed. So the, the line is there, right? Um, there's a veneer here that uh, the federal government says, you know, don't worry, we're going to provide these, these, um, these, these labs, these, these weapons to Saudi Arabia, but we, we have in this $14 billion deal, the ability to say, we will, we will deny a permit application where there is a risk of human rights violation. So there's again, a veneer of, of due diligence. Um, don't buy that. 99% of, of permits that have been issued for this kind of weapon sale have been approved in this country. So if you're thinking, well, there's checks and balances, we're, we're going to do this, but we're not, let's just look at the facts. We're articulate, educated people. We are providing weapons to a country engaged in terrible human rights violations. If you followed the, the, the events of Jamal Khashoggi, you know that they will do anything to assert their type of power. They are in armed conflict with Yemen. It's important to note that we cannot just say, oh, but these types are being used for good things. Are we crazy? 99% of the permit applications for these weapons are being approved. Um, I, I got to talk about the elephant in the room on this issue, because um, when I did my research on this and I looked into where the arms sales were going and who was doing the arms sales, uh, I looked at also who was against the arms sales. And the EU is one of the biggest organizations in the area. And she, uh, they are against the any sales to Saudi Arabia during a war. Yes. But when you yes. look at who is also selling arms to Saudi Arabia, because that is the, that this is the telltale sign. Well, Canada is a bad player on the national state stage on this issue. The UK, Italy are also oh, selling. Yeah. No, arms. we're not. Yeah, we're exactly. not alone. And, and, and it's important to note that this is the this is what's happening at the at the PMO. This is the prime minister's. Is it, you know, it's economic. It's a it's a trade deal of fourteen billion dollars. That's a sizable amount. Like, don't forget, we're a country that doesn't manufacture anything. We don't, you know, provide. We have raw materials, but we don't provide finished goods anywhere. Um, you know, as if you've ever like if you follow Bombardier like I do, because I would just would like to have gray hair as soon as possible. You know that we try really hard there, but we can't we can't build ships. We can't build planes. Like it's just it really is difficult for us to be in the business of selling a finished good. So you can see that there's a $14 billion contract um, on the line here. And, and, um, and the, and the trade-off is we, we do this at the cost of understanding that yes, we have economic um, an economic benefit. It, it's a job creator. It's a job provider, but this veneer of like, you know, be okay with it because we have a checks and balance system is such a high level of bullshit. And we should not be, we should not be buying that. We should understand that by doing this, we accept that these weapons could be used in nefarious ways um, to, to provide real harm. So, so I, I, I love this story because I don't love the story of the actual nature of the story, but the Chris. information that I, that I learned about 
arms sales and a little bit more about where our uh, weapons are going. I, I, I found it quite interesting. I found this number staggeringly surprising. But in 2019, Canada, Canada sold the United States 5,102 tasers, tasers to the United States. Okay, understandable. Yet again, Saudi Arabia is a probably a bad country that I'll probably never, ever go to ever in my life. But the United States, we are selling weapons to them to potentially harm their own people. Because if you look at the report by the uh, the arms treaty, uh, arms trade treaty dot org. You can look at where every single one of our arms deals went to. And I, I was surprised at how many are actually going to the United States as well. Saudi Arabia, Netherlands, Belgium, for some reason. I don't know why Belgium mm-hmm. needs some weapons, but what is going on in this world when Canada peacekeeping country, the which Trudeau ran on in 2015. Hey, we're going to be up front. We're going to be in the peace treaty country has now started becoming the gun runners of sort of North America, but also Middle East. What's going on with our world? And like you said, it is a hypocritical stance for the government to say we are fun, loving, peacekeeping country while we're selling, while there be just uh, light armors vehicles to countries that are killing other countries. But yet again, the U.S. can't say anything because they're selling to other countries as well. So we, we Canada has yeah. to be upfront with people and say, you know what, we might not have the best track record when it comes to arms sales to countries that might be using it to kill their own people. Yeah, but like I'm saying, don't don't give it the veneer that there's a checks and balance that isn't there. Right. Like that, yeah. that to me feels the most um, just disassociated and, and disheartening. I think that's the worst part for me. And and while yeah. you're doing all of this, you're destroying your military at home. You're making yeah. it an unwelcoming place. A, a, you know, like it's just, it, it starts to compound itself and it becomes deeply disappointing. Um, I will say that, uh, yet again, diving into this a little bit more deeper and a little bit more policy, but out of the 4 billion that we did sell in 2019, 76% of that, 76% of that 4 billion went to Saudi Arabia. 76% of our oh, yeah, arms sales went to Saudi Arabia. I, I didn't realize we were that close with them, but hey, we have now changed. I could not find information about Stephen Harper's time during his time if we were selling arms to Saudi Arabia at that time or other countries because we had just signed this pack of being open and transparent with the people in 2019. So I would love to know. I, I tried to do a little bit of dive into that, but I couldn't find it as much as I was able to find what Justin Trudeau has fallen down on and being the woke person he is, according to him, it is great to see. But I think that. we can we can assume that this is not a we 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 know to be true that this is not a new thing. We've been selling arms to other countries for a long time. I think mm. the, the problem that we have now is that we have this artificial veneer that it's, you know, you love the you word know, veneer, we, don't you? You used it in every week episode that we have had. But that's, veneer, veneer. But that's it. Yes, yes, please tweet. me. I've, I've actually gotten that feedback before. But that is to me when I look at this prime minister, that is the challenge that I have is that there is this 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 presentation of it being you know, this, this, this flashy something. And then right behind it, it's not genuine. It's not authentic. It's not, it, there's, there's always another a narrative. Once you start to align all your facts, you're like, this is not what it is presented to be. It just becomes so when, when we look at increasing public trust and confidence in the political process and in political leadership, you just think these are so many movements and pivots that, don't help us in the long run. It's just, it's built on a false premise. It's veneer. That's the only word I can think of. Um, Before we move into our next segment, I do want to throw this in here because um, Justin Trudeau was accused of being a hypocrite by our current premier of Alberta, Jason Kenney. I did, I I, I let uh, Jen know that I was going to talk about this, but I didn't tell her when it was going to be talked about. But yesterday, as we saw, um, Justin Trudeau came out with five new appointments to the upper chamber, the red chamber Senate. And in that uh, we have two vacancies in Alberta. Justin Trudeau filled one. He filled it with Banff or former Banff because she resigned her post like literally two minutes after the press release came out. Banff Mayor uh, Karen Sorensen. Um, this 
riled up the conservative right. Aaron O'Toole put out a press release, you know, because that's what we do when we're pissed off at people now. We put out press releases. Um, Aaron O'Toole put something out. Uh, I was going to say Jamie Kennedy, but <laughs> Jason Kenny uh, put out a press release via Twitter, which I still don't understand why we're doing that anymore. But I guess we need to take a screenshot of the press release and put it on Twitter. Were you as pissed off as a conservative as the right is portraying that they're pissed off that Justin Trudeau constitutionally is allowed to fill these vacancies? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really? I, oof, I, really? I, don't, I don't. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I. I. Does everybody gird your loins as I say that I in I endorse Kenny's outrage on this because the the vision that Kenny wanted and you have the ability to to work with you do have the ability to work within the system. I appreciate that this is a constitutional right, but the ability to say we we as a province would like to do this like the way we do the academy awards we're going to do the oscars now where you know albertans you know choose their nominees and then those nominees are brought for consideration it was seen as an olive branch to say let us have a say in who is chosen to represent us and for the prime minister just to say hard pass like hard pass. I think it, it really, really certainly does demonstrate that there is no willingness to work together. And I know that that happens on both sides, but it really, this whole situation just really raises the flag for me that this idea that senators are chosen by the governor general on the advice of the prime minister. Why can we as Canadians not elect our senators? Why can, because they play a role in the process of helping policy ideas become the law of the land. Why can we not as Canadians elect them? What is it about us that it has been decided that we are not capable of doing this? I mean, I appreciate that we're following the British model and, and we're part of the Commonwealth and that's fine, you know, but we've, we've seen pivots even in American history where it's been vitally important for senators to, to, to be elected in, in part of the process let me not conflate my words. Let me be impeccable with them. I am very happy for uh, Miss Sorensen. I'm very happy for Karen. I, she's been a wonderful mayor for Banff, um, and 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 sh and I'm sure she will have a, a very articulate voice in the Senate. But this is a job that she did not campaign for. That she has a lot of power to ascertain, and and at the end of the day, why? when Alberta is looking so much for its voice to be found within this, between this confederation setup, could we not just have had this an opportunity for Albertans to say in conjunction with the municipal election, here's some people that I would like for Senate consideration. I like this person. I like this person. First of all, it involves us more as citizens in our own constitutional process and our own electoral process. Like there was no harm here in allowing the process to unfold to say, and I would have even have accepted if we would have produced a list and had the opportunity as citizens to speak. And then even the prime minister saying, no, thanks. I'm going with Karen going with Karen and Bam. Well, um, I just, the, the I just thing think that I found quite interesting, sorry, I'm not trying to interrupt, but I do want to, I want to point this out because I want to make sure people know there are two vacancies. There are two vacancies that he could have filled. He only filled one grant Mitchell resigned in January. Uh, the former Senator Elaine McCoy passed away earlier this year as well. There was two vacancies that he could have filled, but he only chose to fill one. So hypothetically, he can still say, hey, I'm waiting for that first name. Whoever you guys choose, we'll put in the Senate. But he only yeah, filled one. He's not going to do wanna, that. But he's not going to do sure that. that. He's going to say, he's going to say, I'm just waiting my time and then I'm going to fill the other one. Like, no way. He's not going. And then what do we have? We have a system where some are, that makes it a more dysfunctional system. We have some that are elected, like some are chosen by Albertans, but some are not. This is ridiculous. And this is how dysfunctional this has gotten because this is not the right way forward. The right way forward is for Canadians to elect their senators. Well, Come on, tell is, me I, you agree with that. I tell don't me you agree with that. I don't. What? That's I do crazy. Not, I do not because I stopped believing in that when the, conser the, the conservative senators that Harper appointed said that they were going to be there for eight years and then last it longer than eight years. If you want to be transparent, if conservatives want to talk about the upper chamber reform, they better follow through with their words. And I'm that's my own personal opinion. If the conservatives want to change the Senate, which they say they want to, 
All those senators who were appointed under Harper, who said I was only going to be there for eight years, who are still there 15 years later, need to step down. And then I will get behind the elected Senate because right now, that's crazy. That's crazy. (laughs) That's crazy, Chris, because if you're going to elect senators, then you will elect them on a term. Like, that's crazy. That's like saying because the system's already broken, we can't fix it. And don't let a few bad apples ruin the whole batch. Like, yeah, they were not honest to their word, and that's wrong. But if you're going to elect senators, there's no way you're going to elect them to a lifetime appointment. You're going to elect them on on an electoral cycle. Uh, we have our first comment via YouTube oh, no. as we're live streaming this. And it's from a Green Party of Canada candidate for Calgary Centre, Austin Mullins, who says, or we should just Ooh. abolish the Senate altogether. Do you think we should? No. No. Nope. Why not? No, we don't. No, I don't. First of all, can I just say, like, I think Austin's going to run a great campaign in Calgary Centre. I can't wait to see how he's going to get young people mobilized on on some great energy. If he can get some great innovative policy solutions, man, I'm 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 really excited to watch this kid run. So go get it, Austin. Okay. Um, I think you just clipped out a part of YouTube for him so he can put it up on Twitter and social media. <laughs> yeah. So continue yeah, on. Conservative like me, conservative <laughs> like me, hosting versus Green Party candidate will be the headline of that no i just think he's 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 run a great um he's had great energy he's just kind of been on everyone's radar so i'm i'm excited to see that and seeing younger people get involved in the federal political process makes me always excited um abolish the senate no so yeah right so for me uh, i'll just use the example of um of medical assistance and dying uh, when they went to go past bill C seven, which is the, which is the second iteration, the, the, the further entrenchment of, of made um, uh, in, in our, in our social construct, this, the Senate was instrumental in looking at a, looking at the bill and looking at the amendments and, and, and kind of breaking it into parts. And I think the best level of discourse and dialogue that we had about made in this country occurred at the senatorial level. There was real due diligence at that level. I was very, very impressed. And I think that, you know, for them to, to look at that bill and say, okay, aside from the, from the, from the, from the, um, hyperbole and the emotion, you know, here's what we're looking at and we're going to make these modifications and we're going to send this bill back down to the house to have another vote on it. And I think at the end of the day, what we got was a really, really great bill C7 that with the exception of, of a few special interest groups made everybody pretty happy about the future momentum of, of a very pioneering, um, uh, you know, piece of legislation. So I've, I, I just see the Senate as being this place to say, whoa, 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 whoa let's just unpack this, let's just unpack this, this legislation and this bill and let's have real dialogue. So I don't think it should be abolished. I think it's a nice, I think it's a nice check and balance for us, but I do think the people in there should be selected by the citizens and not by the, by the prime minister alone. I think that that's too much of an overreach of power. Yet again, we could talk about this for about 20 minutes, 20 hours, because yet again, I will be up front here. Um, the Senate is not picked by, well, technically it is on the advice of the prime minister, but he has appointed a special committee to vet. Oh, Maine. stop it. <coughs> stop Anyone it. can apply. It's who he I applied stop. for a this Senate is- position. <laughs> This is the arms deal all over again. Don't worry. There's a permit application and we won't sell any. There's still 100% of these permits going through. Like, don't don't buy that. Don't buy that. Uh, I want to turn to a more local issues now, because uh, while it's great that we can talk about federal politics for the first 29 minutes of the show, provincial, 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 it seems like the conservatives are trying to change the narrative around a lot of things right now. And earlier last week, uh, we were going to talk about this last week, but we decided to push it back just to see what was going to transpire with it. The Justice Minister of Alberta, Casey Maddow, decided that he was going to put out a press release via a open letter to Bill Barr, the uh, uh, I forget his actual ministry's position, but uh, Bill Barr safety, public safety. That's right. Uh, Ralph Goodale's old uh, ministry. And Justin Trudeau saying, hey, Albertans want to carry pepper spray. We believe that Albertans need to feel safe. And in order to feel safe, they want to they should care, be able to carry pepper spray. Please change the laws to allow that to happen. You are shaking your head for the people who are listening to this on an audio version. Um, 
I was disgusted by this because all we need is more Batman running around and Superman and freaking vigilantes running around with pepper spray, spraying people. How do you hold people account from the conservative perspective? And I'll, uh, I'll throw it over to you here. Were you appalled by this as much as much as uh, Albertans were when they read this open letter? I wasn't appalled. I was just frustrated. I'm just frustrated. So if you listen to my podcast, Conservative Like Me, you know that I talk about good policy has three arms to it. It has to be technically correct, operationally implementable, and it has to have good political will. Let's unpack those three. Political will, uh, was was there like a whole public consultation that I missed from Albertans where we all talked about how much we all want to carry pepper spray? Like what, where's the data that this is the, what we want? Like where's, and what did we actually really want? Was it more policing? Was it more community policing? Was it safer streets? Was it better lighting? Like what was the real thing that we wanted that the UCP decided, no, we can give them this and this will somehow satisfy it. So political will matters here. Ottawa is never going to go for this. Let's just be totally honest. And of all the hills you have to die on between Alberta and Ottawa, this is what you picked. Are you nuts? Are you nuts? And so the other their, thing is, what was their political move then? What was their I political move I here? Because I can't read into this because Senate equalization, I understand those issues. Pepper spray? Like I don't know if it's like the veneer of safety. I don't know. See, so there's veneer again. I don't know if it's the if it's the the false presentation of safety. I just don't know. I just can't. Like it's not like normally when I when you would see something like this appear from from Madhu's office, you'd think. Uh, we've been sort of on the trail of, of this, of this dialogue, but this really came out of nowhere. So, so back to my three things, so that's political will. And then on the operationally implementable, I just would like to remind people listening at home that if, if people who fear for their safety can carry pepper spray, so can the bad guys. What? Like we're just all carrying what? pepper. So can they, <laughs> exactly. I just think we kind of forget about that. And it's important to note that the Alberta police chiefs are dead set against this idea. They, they believe that there will be a whole host of unintended consequences and, and their expertise and their data is saying, this is a bad, this is a bad pivot. This is bad policy. And I think when you don't have that group in your, in your corner and they're, and they're kind of a, a qualified group to, to have their opinion, I think you've got real trouble. But the biggest issue of this policy is the technical correctness. What is this policy trying to solve? If we have an issue of public safety or the or the a concern of public safety, maybe even if the data isn't there, this is not the solution. This is not the solution. You need you need the so I just feel like this is just so ridiculous. This is so ridiculous. It's a policy solution that fails on all three levels that, you know, Ottawa is going to say no. And I don't know if this is just them trying to build more power to be able to say, see, Ottawa doesn't listen to us. I just don't, I just don't understand this, this request to amend the criminal code and, and what, what it's aspiring to do. But I think that this is very anti-Albertan. I just, I don't get this at all. When I first read the letter, and this was for like about 20 minutes afterwards, because I kept I kept on because I tried to figure out what the political game is here. Right. Because there's nothing. Nothing happens in politics without a end goal. An end game has to be something for for like a brief 20 minutes. I kept on thinking to myself, is this the conservatives trying or the UCP trying to introduce open carry? And this was my concern. Is it? Hey. We need to feel safe. We need to start put, putting pepper spray in people's arm. Next step, years down the line, people being able to carry handguns. So that like for a brief moment, and I could be the only one in the room here that thought this, but it was my look of, is this potentially opening up a bigger can of worms of potentially arming our citizens to make them feel safe? Because the UCP are very much in favor of uh, protecting property rights and protecting landowners and ensuring that rural uh, homeowners are protected and well served and feeling like if they have intruders, they potentially have the right to harm the intruder if they feel uh, unsafe. So for a brief moment, and this could be just me, I'm not sure if anyone else, if anyone else, please send me messages. So that way I don't feel like I'm a lonely island here. But that's where I went with the whole conversation. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if this is trying to set precedent or not. To be fair, the thought didn't even cross my mind. I, yeah, I just, I wish that they would be more transparent with Albertans around what, what the goal is here. But I, yeah, here, I'm, here, I'm, here we I'm, are. I, I hope, I'm like flummoxed. you say, I, 
I don't I don't expect it to be introduced. I don't expect the liberals in Ottawa to change the laws, but weirder things have happened. So who knows? Yeah, no, I, I fully expect Ottawa to send back a note that says, you know, too long to read. N O period. Yeah. Um, hard pass. On, Hashtag yeah. hard pass. While we are on the topic of progressive or the United Conservative Party, I want to talk about uh, elections Alberta here for a second, because earlier this week, I think actually uh, Wednesday this week, they came down with one of their two reports from the last federal uh, provincial election around uh, MLA Devinder Tour, the Calgary Falcon Ridge M- MLA for the UCP. He was slapped with uh, a $15,000 fine and his CFO during the last election as well was slapped with a fine. I think it was uh, close to 15,000. It feels like, the, I think it was like 14,500. Um, 10 violations. Yeah, together, the, it's, go ahead. together it's 33, together it's 33,500. Together, 33, all, all in. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Mr. Tour was slapped with 10 violations of the Elections Act for illegal financing of his election. He was accepting donations from a uh, a numbered company that he was a director of at one time. Um, the NDP have been calling for him to resign now. This was one of the closest, if not the closest, writings in the last provincial election with 96 votes between him and the uh, NDP. Uh, mm-hmm. This brings into the question, and I think this is why there's a lot of outrage around the Senate right now, of the kamikaze leadership candidate that ran against Brian Jean and Doug Schweitzer and Jason Kenney for the leadership of the UCP. From a conservative perspective, what do you what do you think of what just happened and what this outcome has started a narrative around election finances and the conservatives, or is it just a one-off issue and Mr. Tour just needs to go away in the next election? I'm not going to play uh, party politics on this. I'm going to apply the same rules to, yeah, sorry to disappoint you. I'm going to play clutch my pearls. I'm going to play um, fairness, open and transparent, um, elections and campaigns that follow the rules are paramount. I don't care who you're affiliated with. I don't care who you affiliated with. The campaign system, the campaign finance system is complicated, but there's no excuse not to know the rules. So it's driving a car and yet we all do it and follow the rules, right? It's part of the job. Um, I do, I do believe, and I'm well on the record that I think that there should be a standing order that if elections, Alberta or elections, Canada, if we're looking at a federal level, um, can find a case for, for foul play, because you did not follow the rules, you should be subject to approval, uh, removal, sorry, you should be subject to removal. Full stop. I believe that on, on, on everything that this is about public trust and confidence. If you don't play by the rules and there's no excuse for, Oh, I didn't know, right. You have a financial agent for a reason. If you if you run afoul to the public trust and confidence in the election, you're done. You're out. You're out. The seat sits open until the next election. And I, what and I appreciate that, that, that um, former uh, uh, deputy premier, uh, Thomas Lukasik said, uh, I, I, I pulled up this tweet. It said, if cheating in an election was a criterion for removing a UCP MLA from the Alberta caucus, you'd be missing a leader, several cabinet ministers and a bunch of backbenchers. And um there is a thought that this is a systemic problem within the UCP. I've seen other political parties that, str- that struggle with this, but the, the, I think the truth of the matter is, is that there are rules. You follow the rules. If you don't follow the rules, there are consequences and those consequences should be far more severe than a fine because then you're going to have campaigns who are going to say no problem. It was worth the 91. It was worth the 91 votes that we got to pay the $33,000 fine. Yeah. Uh, I just want to uh, just, piggyback on the finance issues right now. Uh, Yesterday, financial reporting came out from the two major parties, and this has nothing to do with uh, uh, Devinder Tour, the MLA for Calgary Falconridge, but this has to do with uh, just uh, politics in general. The NDP doubled doubled the UCP's fundraising ability uh, in yesterday's numbers. I was shocked at that. I think that tells a narrative, but also at the same time, we're still two years out from an election. So I would not put anything into money because money does not vote. So there's my two cents on that one. Uh, and because I just, because I want to make sure we get to this last one, because I feel like this one's going to be the big one for the day. And this is going to be the uh, long conversation that we're going to be having. Uh, so do you have anything about fundraising I want to talk about before I move on or no? 
Listen, I never want to talk about fundraising, but I think that there should be rules and I will be very disappointed if Mr. Tour's defense of this $33,500 claim is, oh, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know. I'm, I, I have no, I have no time for that. And I hope that whoever runs against him in the next election gives him no pun intended a run for his money. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Now this is, this has been a news story that we have been following uh, semi-closely for the last few weeks. We've wanted to talk about it, I think in the very first episode of the show, but we decided to hold off because we wanted to learn a little bit more about it. Um, Winnipeg. We're going to put ourselves into Winnipeg. And I never thought I would ever say that yet again, we're talking about hockey. We're talking about Winnipeg. Here we are. It's a strange world in 2021 and we're almost in August. Um, Two scientists were removed from a lab in Winnipeg at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, Both credentials were pulled. This is a highly classified, highly secured lab. Uh, Opposition wants to know why this was happening and the government is dragging its heels on releasing any information. They are bringing, they're fighting to uh, fighting in court to not release the documents of why these two scientists were removed. And, uh, Actually, if I'm not mistaken, and Jennifer probably knows a little bit better than I do, but the liberals are bringing a liberal speaker to court to stop the release of these documents. I think it's the first time in history that the speaker has been sued by his own party, but also by the government to stop the release of documentation. Um, I tried to learn a little bit about some backstory about this. The only report that I could find was from CBC because I do not subscribe to the Globe and Mail. And I know people who are watching are saying, why are you listening to the CBC? They're they're government run organization, so on and so forth. But a third party source told the CBC that that they spoke to the two scientists and the two scientists says it's all a misunderstanding. They don't know why their credentials were pulled to this highly classified secure lab in Winnipeg. And one scientist is claimed to have traveled to Wuhan to set up a lab in the area that the COVID-19 virus started. So there is our introduction to this and I probably did a shitty job doing it, but Jennifer probably will be able to explain a little bit better if I missed something. Jennifer, from your perspective, from your perspective, what the heck is going on in Winnipeg? And why is why is the government being so secretive, do you believe? What is going on in Winnipeg? What is going on in Ottawa? Uh, that's the big question that I have is, yes, okay. So two two scientists, a husband and a wife, um, working in a, in a lab in, in Winnipeg, as you said, suddenly removed suddenly removed um, on, and, and it's important to note that, that CSIS was part of this seat. Like there, there's a CSIS element to this. So there was something nefarious going on. So the, the, the rhetoric of there's some misunderstanding that happened, there was some Intel that informed the dismissal of them. And then at the same time, we had a, a, an infectious disease outbreak. So, the, the issue here, let's be very clear. The issue here is that something happened in Winnipeg and Canadians have a right to know what it was, period, full stop. This is and, and yet and yet what we're doing here is we're playing politics because there are incredible lengths. I've never seen anything like it. Incredible lengths that the liberal government is going to not to release that documentation. Things are so heavily redacted. Questions are not being asked, answered in parliament. Um, now we're seeing, you know, the speaker being, so you're absolutely right. The speaker being sued of his own party, not to release the information. They're going to take it through the judicial system. They're trying to hold it up. What happened in that Winnipeg lab is not, to the discretion or, 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 or secrecy of the government, it is to be disclosed to Canadians. And if a case can, like, there's no case that you can make here. Why can't we get that information? I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second, because I, I'm in, I'm in the same position you are. I believe that the information should be released. If this is for national security, release the information or give us some indication of why these people were removed. You don't need to tell us the full story if you don't want to, but tell us why they were removed. Was it espionage? Was it this, that, or the other? The issue that I have right now, and this is where I'm, I don't want to say I'm, I'm favoring the government on this issue is I'm wondering if something has to do with the two Michaels. I know this is probably few and far between, but I'm looking at this as a Canada China relationship issue. 
Uh, these two people, uh, well, the wife was accused of move, uh, going to China to set, uh, going to China and setting up a lab in Wuhan, like I stated. Does this have anything to do with um, the two Michaels? I know we have other issues with Hawaii and uh, Hawaii, or however you want to pronounce it, and Hawaii. that, yeah, that whole issue. But I, I, I want to be extra cautious about what is released to the public because sometimes when you release information, it it can be uh, misconstrued. It can be changed. It can be uh, taken out of context. So I want to be sure that what the information is released by the government. And I know the government is not the best keeper of what information should be uh, put out to the public, but I want to make sure that the information that's put out to the public is the correct information and is actually going to be used in a, an appropriate manner and not uh, taken out of context, like, like I said. And that's where I stand Respect. on this. Go ahead. Respect. Respectfully, bullshit. Counterpoint is twofold. Number one, you send Meng home, which we do these trades all the time. You send Meng home and you're going to get the two Michaels back. Nope, 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 nope. We do these kind of backdoor trades all the time. We are holding Meng because of the US president, who is no longer in power, asked us to do so and put us in a ridiculous position of no success. You send Meng home, you get the two Michaels back, and the world carries on. We did I, I this will for have, the United I, States. The United States I won't will do anything to, about it. I'm going to defend Justin Trudeau on this one. If the moment you do a swap prisoner for prisoner, Canadians get a target on their back. Canadians now no become. No way. We do these kind of trades all the time. These kind of trades all the time. You act like this is the only time something like this has happened. We do these kind of trades all the time. Meng is a, is a high collateral target. And, and, and look at like, we did this for the United States. And now the United States is like, we don't care. We don't care. Joe Biden couldn't even probably pronounce the name whatever. like I did. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. He'd be like that Hawaii thing. And like, he, he doesn't care. Yeah. Do first of all, so don't conflate it. But the other piece of this is like, this is us guessing. This is us guessing like, oh, there must be some justification. There is, there is no justification here. And, 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 and the, and this, it really revealed itself this week because there was a, a great piece in McLean's magazine where, um, uh, they working with the Globe and Mail um, released a, a preliminary document or, or a brief from CSIS that they had done a lot of outreach to universities um, in in the in the year of 2020 and released uh, to to the government and then publicly that they believe that universities would be targets could be potential targets for international espionage because there's such free and open sharing and and such collaboration between um, you know universities and 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 they reached out to 230 Canadian research universities. And, and and coordinated industrial groups and or sorry coordinated industry groups and you know they 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 personally briefed more than two thousand individuals and said we we think that there are potential threats to Canadian research being shared with other countries we believe China to be chiefly among them you know this is a threat and that threat was openly shared with Canadians and we were able to digest that and you and I are able to talk about it on the podcast there are talking points about what happened in Winnipeg and we're being kept from them because the prime minister is choosing to do so. If there is a security argument to be made, then make that argument. I I will agree on that. And that's where I think we uh, need to go. If Justin Trudeau believes, and if uh, Bill Barr and Harjit Sand, the uh, defense minister, and uh, Mark Garneau, the foreign affairs minister, believe that there's a security issue that needs to be addressed, that needs to be the reason why we are not releasing this information, tell us what that security information is. Do not try to back people into a corner. And I, I... I'm going to say, I, I say this with all relevance, but the conservatives are not winning this issue either. They are not, nope. they are dropping the ball on this issue. And yet again, I'm going back to the political issue because that's what I like to do because politics, yet again, everything happens in politics for a reason. The conservatives must know something because they have that secret committee that meets to talk about security issues and ceases. But if the conservatives aren't attacking the Trudeau government on this issue every day. It's a failed opportunity. And the longer we don't, they don't, 
they are losing the narrative and they're going to lose potentially. Well, I think they're still going to lose the next election, but they need to start attacking and the NDP need to smarten up and actually get down to business and say, okay, you know what? Release the information. If all the freaking parties got together and said, yes, let's release the information or Justin Trudeau, get Jagmeet Singh, Jagmeet Singh, Aaron O'Toole, Annemi Paul. I'm going to throw her in there first uh, for sake of the transparency and the leader of the block uh, party, get them in a room and say, okay, this is the reason. This is why we're not releasing it. If you can tell the leaders, go for it, but do something and tell us why you're not releasing it. Don't just sue for the sake of suing. <sighs> well, I think this, you're absolutely right that for conservatives, this is a wedge issue on, on public trust and confidence. This is an issue on transparency. And if there's an issue of public safety, if there's something, I mean, if you, if it is really serious, then brief the other leaders and, and, and let them, and let them manage it as a, as an issue of public safety. But I, I just think that this is, this is, this is what Trudeau has done, especially in his last mandate, which is I can govern from the PMO. And if you don't like it, you can suck it. Well, he's trying to take a page out of Stephen Harper's book, but Stephen Harper did it much better and was able to do it a lot easier and smoother because Justin Trudeau seems to trip over, I don't know, a stick if he was walking. Yeah, I just think that the the prime minister is he does it with the, the it's just more disingenuous. Like I think with Stephen Harper, love it or loathe it, you knew what it was. I think that the problem here with the prime minister is that, and I'm coming all the way back to the beginning, which is that it gives you the impression that it's one thing when it really is the other. And I just think that that lack of authenticity should disqualify you from being the current prime minister or future. We have five, we have five minutes left in the show. And yet again, we could probably talk about Wuhan for a while. And I feel like we didn't even talk about Wuhan. We started with the Wuhan, then we went to a completely different narrative of us arguing about prisoner trades and all this stuff. That's the way the world works. I can't believe how wrong you are. I can't believe how wrong you are. I, I, I no, you are wrong on this. You, you, you are willing to put a target on every Canadian's back who says, I don't agree with something that uh, the Canadian government is doing. So I'm going to capture one of their, or I'm going to imprison one of their uh, citizens because they did something wrong. That's my opinion. That's my last word on it. Go ahead. Your last word on it as well. <laughs> You're wrong. You're wrong. What do you want to, can we talk about the election call? Can That's we, can what we're about to do. We're going to transition yeah. to that for the last five minutes. Uh, I, I am not on the Conservative Party fundraiser list. I'm not on the mailing list for the Conservative Party of Canada, but I am. A, certain, a certain other person on the show is. Uh, she had told me that the Conservatives had sent out a fundraising letter saying, hey, we have a leaked email from the Liberal Party of Canada saying the Liberals need to have campaign offices ready and going for August and September, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. The you next actually two probably months. explain yeah, that. Next two you can explain this a lot better than I can because I don't get the emails you do. Go ahead, Jen. Explain to the audience what this is about. No, you you totally got it. There is uh, so I get, I've really been stepping up and getting a lot of fundraising emails from the Conservative Party of Canada, and they had one that said we have leaked information that the Liberal Party is telling their candidates to buy offices for two months, the months of August and September, and I followed that with great interest, and then I started to see certain you know, political insiders or, or people who seem to be very good at guessing probably better than you and I talking about going to the polls on the 13th of September. Now I'm well on the record that I think that that's too. <laughs> you okay? I, I'm 90% sure in their second episode, I said September 16th. Uh, I, yeah. I, yeah, no, I was there. I was there and I think it's still too early. I think it's still too early. It's going to be too difficult to, to campaign in August. Um, but I mean, the, it's, it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm also starting to hear from liberal candidates who, who know that I don't like the conservative candidate or the conservative MP in those in certain writings. So, you know, that, that's picked up and that's piqued my interest. I'm still not sure that the 13th is the date, but I did start to think about it in a way that I hadn't thought about it before, which is you do have to think about it from a resource perspective. Like you're not going to have an election on like the fourth, like the fourth or the fifth, because you're absolutely right. You're going to have to have a campaign office. That's an expenditure that you only need for four days that you're going to pay for, for the entire month. So I've started to think about this in a far more pragmatic manner. <laughs> like when would the election be if we consider election spending? Um, 
I'm going to win a steak dinner here in the great ward of Ward 10 of Calgary, which uh, Jennifer and I have a bet that when this election is going to be called, I... I have also talked to my liberal friends, my liberal candidates in other parts of the uh, province and other parts of the country, which um, after you sent me this email, I asked them point blank. Hey, um, there's a lot of campaign offices happening in the first, second week of August, and I'm very shocked about that. And I would be very much surprised that if an election doesn't get called the week of the Nova Scotia election. So August 16th, that would be an interesting uh, week to call an election, have that happen. The issue here in Calgary, in Alberta, is municipal elections are happening. People are going to be politicaled out, and they do not want a federal election, a municipal election, a Senate election, and referendums on a swat of things when we're having a federal uh, when with so much politics, I think there's going to be voter apathy. And I think a lot of people aren't going to go out on the second note. But what fourth, fourth wave, fourth wave, fourth wave, fourth wave. I want to make sure we get that Delta variant is coming. I know you were shaking your head. I know we had talked about if the stampede becomes a breeding ground of COVID-19, then we have issues, but it didn't. But I think we still have to talk about the elephant in the room because there are still provinces and Alberta is the unique entity in this whole thing that are still in lockdown that are still telling people don't go out yes we are releasing or we're relaxing uh covid19 restrictions but there are still provinces who are still suffering from this so i want justin trudeau to be prepared that if he goes to an election there could be a potential fourth wave and i don't want to say that because i really hope we don't have one that it could affect his chances at the polls yeah, I mean, I'm 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 nodding my head. I'm I'm agreeing with you on 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 potential peaks in in COVID and and what that could mean for keeping people from the polls. Important to note the group of people that it would most likely keep from the polls are people who would vote conservative. So there's a little bit of playing of politics there. Um, the the other thing I think is you're going to have incredibly low voter turnout for this. There's no excitement left. Uh, I think you're going to have just a a dismal result in terms of who's going to go to the polls. I think when you when you look at the position that Alberta's in with a with a with big municipal elections, I think let's remember what we learned with the Senate appointment of um, Karen Sorensen. Uh, Trudeau doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's this is a this is a battleground for conservatives, um, and and he he doesn't care. He's going to try to push you know some momentum in Edmonton, uh, but other than that, you know he. If this creates a, a, a political fatigue for for Calgary and Edmonton as they as they have to select really a, a brand new municipal infrastructure, uh, I don't think the prime minister cares. I don't think he cares. No, I don't either. Um, I will say that the liberals are seeming to throw a lot of money and a lot of star power into Calgary's Skyview. Uh, in the last few weeks, they've had both. Well, they had the prime minister in the riding. They had minister of transportation in the riding yesterday. They had uh, the minister of environment down here. The councillor for Ward 5, George Chahal, is our guest on Tuesday. So tune in for that. But also he is the candidate for the liberals. And they seem to be looking at winning back that seat because it looks like a potential mm -hmm. winnable seat for them. Calgary Centre is a bit of an uh, uphill battle. But Sabrina Grover, who was on the show earlier this week, uh, or actually yesterday, she is the candidate there. So I think the Liberals are looking at those two ridings. But yet again, it is a uphill battle. The political narrative that Jason Kenney can spin if the Liberals do win a majority is, hey, those referendum issues that we want, you need to get out and vote on October 18th for those because we need to send a clear message to Justin Trudeau. If you have a majority, we're not going to take it anymore. So that's my final word on that. What's yours? Exactly. Yeah, uh, same. Okay. Um, the last area I want to talk about, and I know it's nine o'clock, and I just want to make sure that we do get this in. Pierre Polivare. Pierre, good old Pierre. Pierre likes to do his videos. Pierre is running his leadership campaign in the middle of a not really sure if we're in the 44th general election. Does this hurt Aaron O'Toole with Pierre being very more being more vocal than he has in the last few months. And he is out there. He's on social media. He is a fundraising machine. He is able to pull in the money left, right, and center. Aaron O'Toole needs to sit him down and potentially say, okay, we need to win the next election. You need to stop thinking about your own personal uh, future. Do you believe, do you agree? 
I, first of all, Aaron O'Toole hurts Aaron O'Toole. First of all, uh, it's, it's, we, we look to this leader for, for inspiration and direction and drive and passion and great policy ideas and things that we can get excited about that buck falls on him. Um, I do think that uh, Pierre is looking at um, the, the piece about what I would call political maintenance, which is the idea that it's, um, oh, I wonder if you can hear my dog barking. My dog is psycho and he's barking probably at his own reflection right now. Um, he's, what can I say? He's a conservative also. And he, I, what I think Pierre is trying to do is what I would call political maintenance, which is the ability to say to the party, it's going to be okay right? There's still going to be power left when we don't win this next election. I think he is reading the tea leaves. And I think honestly, if Aaron O'Toole sat him down and said, quit it because we're trying to win this election, I think Pierre would just say like pound sand. Like I, I'm going to do what I want to do for my writing. And I, I he does have more power, uh, like institutional power within the party than the leader does. And we've seen that happen before with every political party. So it's not like, oh my goodness, what, like, what is he going to do with all these outliers? Other parties have always had other superstars. We see it not only just in our own Canadian context, but around the world. Um, the problem with Pierre is that while he, he does have great lines of messaging on, you can't afford this government, we're headed to, we're headed to a fault line. He, comes up short on the innovation part around like solutions and why people should be excited for him as a potential future leader. The, the angry white politician is not going to fly in this country. We just, we're just not socially constructed that way. We just can't get enough people to the polls based on their anger or their fear or their ire. There has to be the aspirational piece as well. Conservatives will continue to be held out so long as that aspirational piece remains elusive to them. The other thing that gets my attention on Mr. Polyver is, is this piece, which is he, he seems to only want it when he thinks he can get it. I want to elect a conservative politician that wants it because the time was right. When Andrew Scheer was running, it was the, the time was right to make a leadership change. Andrew Scheer certainly was not the guy to do it. People, I'm well on the record that I was asked to run in the party under Scheer and said no. Um, but Pierre has waited until there's a better chance for him to be elected at the cost of Canadians well-being. When, when the, when the, when the, when the debt, when the, when the decisions around um, short-term lending, when, when we were going to have a real problem and he believes that we can, he can beat Trudeau. Now he wants to run, right? Remember what he said when he, when he didn't run, he said, you know, I have a young family, you know, this would affect them. He still has a young family. He still has well, a young and family. He was so going to changed? run. He was going to run. There was like wide, like wide, no knowledge that he was going he was, to announce. He was his seen. He was seen as the front runner. You're absolutely right. He was absolutely right. Seen as the front runner. So what happened then that it's different now? And I keep thinking that what's different now is that he knows there's a greater chance to win and you shouldn't want to run when you know you can win. You should want to run when you know that it's the time where you can provide the most help. And that ship sailed. In the last election was the time that conservatives needed to step up and say, this is going to get really cantankerous if we don't put the right candidate forward. But instead, there was this idea that let's let's wait for him to fail a little bit more. But what that really says to Canadians is let's put you in an even more disadvantaged position because we want to do political play. I don't like that. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I want to get this in because I want to ask this question from a conservative perspective. While Pierre Polivare is doing his thing, we had earlier this week, uh, and I did not give you knowledge of this, so I, I apologize, but it's just it's something that has been on the top of my mind. Stephen Harper. Stephen Harper sat down with a podcast down in Texas earlier last month, and he came out and he said, hey, what the Trudeau government is doing, well, and the, what the Canadian government is heavy handed, uh, they're spending way too much money on the recovery because it is not it is not needed. And the, the, the left picked this up. The liberals picked this up and said, hey, look, Aaron O'Toole would have done what Stephen Harper is saying he would have done if he was elected. They would not have given you the benefits. They would have not have given you the uh, CERB. They would have not given you choose uh, the Canadian uh, wage subsidy. Does Stephen Harper need to, and I apologize for the prime minister for saying this, but shut up and just let Aaron O'Toole run? Or does uh, Stephen Harper galvanize the right to potentially get out and vote because he is still seen as that statesman? Uh, well, second verse, same as the first, the, the problem still lies with Aaron O'Toole, but you know, it, <laughs> 
I think the, I think the idea I think why this hurts so bad is because there's been so much so much ridiculous dialogue around when when Aaron O'Toole fails if he fails when he fails um, that Stephen Harper will somehow come back. I love this whole the conservatives believe the only way forward is backward. I said that last week. Um, I think that that's why this this has so much salience. The prime minister, the former prime minister, is welcome to say what he wants to say, and when his message that he spoke about on that podcast will have tremendous salience with the base of the conservative party who wants. To to look at the economic argument, but the effectiveness of being able to use Stephen Harper as a, as a tool to say, you know, this is what Aaron O'Toole would have done. And that the reason why that's such an effective messaging strategy for the Liberal Party is because Aaron O'Toole's not saying anything. There is like, if, if we knew what he would have done, if we knew what he's going to do going forward, if we knew the vision that he held, if we had all of that due diligence in play, these messages wouldn't have that kind of salience. We wouldn't be having to tell the former prime minister to be quiet. We would just be able to say, listen, the former prime minister can say what he wants to say because he served as prime minister for 10 years and now can appear on whatever podcast he wants and hold his mug of, you know, liberal tears all he wants to. Um, but I, uh, I, I just come on our show if he wants. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I just think the central, the central challenge always comes back to the same thing, which is that we don't know what Aaron O'Toole wants to do, what he will do, what he stands for. And, and I'm so frustrated that I've actually done the work. So next week on my podcast, I actually did the entire playbook. Like this is the electoral playbook because I'm so frustrated that I don't see it. So this is what it should be. And so I'll be unpacking that and releasing that podcast next week. Well, I saw the I just saw the notes your father and you put together. Your father seems to be a little <laughs> bit more prepared. <laughs> so, um, for my listeners, uh, uh, that the link to Jennifer's podcast will be up in the show notes. So please check it out because it is a interesting look behind the conservative curtain, and it's always great to learn a little bit more and learn from a different perspective than your own. And while we can disagree on the two Michaels, we can still agree to be great friends. <laughs> Oh, that's right. One of us can be wrong about the Michaels, but we'll still be. I saw the biggest eye roll there. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) On that note, to my listeners, thanks for tuning in Uh, to the listeners on the show. The links to everything will be in the pot in the show notes. So please hit subscribe. We will be back tomorrow. Saturday, July 31st, with another live episode with People's Party of Canada candidate for Calgary Skyview, Harry Dillon. So he'll be sitting down for our first live interview in a very long time. So he'll be in the booth with me in the studio. So please tune into that. Next week, we have two other great candidates. And I promised, I teased it on our social media page that we have a great guest coming up here soon. We are still in negotiations with them. And I can tell you, you will not want to miss it because it's going to be some very fun lightning works uh, lightning strikes that we have on that episode so tune in uh tomorrow and next week for some great new episodes and jen will be back next saturday or next friday with us so thanks very much everyone have yourself an excellent day thanks jen thank you the cross-border interview podcast was produced and edited by miranda brown and associates (laughs) 